All right, everybody, shalom and welcome to the Shai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom and welcome. Thank you. Shalom. Maka Fleischer. Yes, I thought you were just welcoming me. I am now. Hi. I am now welcoming you. Maka Fleischer. Yay! One and only. Okay. Thank you so much for joining yes. us. Uh, Malka, it's uh, been intense times mm-hmm. uh, here in Israel. Uh, just today, just this morning, we found out that the killers, yes. uh, the murderers, the terrorists uh, that, that destroyed the, the you know, part of the D family, yes, uh, Lucy D uh, and Maya and Rina, uh, their killers, their murderers were killed today yes. in Shechem, uh, in, Sh- in so-called Nablus, uh, or sometimes... And the the American biblical folks call it Shechem, but it's Shechem, okay? And uh, there's a Kasba there, and our forces went in there, uh, and and killed them. Uh, get, get well, they they apparently the reports I saw said that they sent an explosive drone in through the window, and exploded them. That that might be true. Um, that might be true. And if it is, then Fauda. Yeah, okay, that's like, yeah, that's yeah. pretty foundacious. Yeah. Hey, what's that drone doing in our window? Kaboom. Okay. Right. So, so that's. We make light, <clears throat> but thank God, you know, it's, I mean, it's not good enough, but it's the best that we could do in this scenario. Sometimes our plowshares turn into weapons. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, did I ever tell you my idea? Yeah. I have to, all these funny ideas for like little, little things. And, uh, you know, like, for example, I thought of this Israeli gun, like the Israeli Uzi, Israeli Galil, Israeli Negev, Israeli. You, you know, thought of all those guns, eh? No, no, I thought of an, a new gun, okay. which basically literally shoots but through a few changes in movements becomes a plowshare oh it's like a it's, it's like, like a, transformer. a transformer it's like a transformer it's like it's like more than meets the eye yeah you're just like don't date yourself Maka. And, and so what do you mean <laughs> it is what it is yeah i'm just saying you take the gun and you're like it's a plowshare it really became a plowshare that's cool yeah oh, oh, but if you need it but you could turn it back into a sword samurai style that plowshare becomes a weapon it's both it's a dual use That's weapon. Nice, yeah, that I came up. You know what else I came up with? Put Which, that at the top of the things to do. No, you see, it's at the bottom of the things to do, but it's just an, a fun idea. I'll give you another idea, which I really want to do. I know this. This. This is why sometimes I want to be in government, so that all I. The only reason yeah. I want it so that I could pick up the phone and be like, "Try this," and then people will listen to me. Okay. I don't know if it even <laughs> works like that in the government, but yeah. go ahead. I have Israelis love sandals. Israelis wear sandals a lot. We make sandals. We're famous for sandals. Sandals, yes. sandals, sandals. I think that it would be amazing if at the bottom of the sandals, at the tread yep. that meets the ground, there would be, <clears throat> you know, you leave a, a, when a you walk, trail. you yeah. leave a trail. So I wanted to write lech, lamed, chaf, sofit, uh-huh. and on the other shoe, lecha. Right, and which when, is also lamed. Right. Sofit. It's just, it's four letters, two and two, and it means go go to you. And it's right. like what lech, God- lecha. Right. And I want and I want it to be at the bottom, and I want them to be called lech lechas. I want people to walk in the land of Israel, and people would see the trails lech lecha, lech lecha, lech lecha. It would be like all over the the land. You would see like these That's little nice. imprints. Yeah, and I would you know lech lecha sandals, the lech lecha series. I don't know. I just think it would be so cool if you would walk in and you would see that imprint. You'd be like, you know, there's a there's a Jew walking in the land. That's, That's nice. so cool. Um, but those jihadis will not be walking in the land. You know, uh, Rabbi D uh, has had such a I- impact. He was on the news today, and he's talking now about marching for the f- freedom of other peoples instead mm-hmm. of marching against ourselves. Right. 
he says, let's march together as a march for the Iranian people and for and for the Syrian people. I mean, I wish we could march together for ourselves. That would be also a nice start. That would be nice. And he was talking about but that But I as like well. that idea. Yeah. You know, uh, throughout the, the years in the show, you've heard, I hope, if you've been listening, you've heard us uh, many times issue our support for uh, Iranian freedom. And I like that idea a lot. There was one thing he said that I didn't agree with and I don't agree with. And that okay. is that he said that he was thankful that the army didn't uh, have anybody hurt from our side in the finding of these killers. That's uh, not exactly what he said. What he said was, um, I think when military officials came, there, you know, a lot of people came to his Shiva house. So many. So you and I both went, each of us separately went to the Shiva house of the, the D family. Um, for those who are just waking up to Israeli news um, a few weeks ago during during Pesach, during Pesach, um, a beautiful family from the Judean town of Efrat was on a vacation trip in their car. T- they took two cars because they're a big family, um, and one car was attacked by uh, a jihadi terrorist. A jihadi terrorist, right? And the car was sh- was shot, and then the terrorist got out of his car and executed them basically mm-hmm. whatever was not done he achieved and um the people who were killed were were uh, a mother and two daughters of this family the d family so the the loss was so incredibly catastrophic and so shocking and the family uh frankly was so beautiful and the women were so lovely um this like very you know innocent looking people because they were innocent so that's how they looked it just sent the the country a storm. I mean, the, the the whole, you know, certainly all of Judea was in mourning all of Pesach um, and farther out throughout the country. People were just really um, devastated by by that terrible uh, injustice. Uh, but Rabbi D, instead of kind of um, fading away into his family, uh, which would have been so reasonable. Instead, what he did was he got up and started making himself into a public figure. Um, and he has been really working to get the message of Israel out um, in English um, as a British as a British rabbi, uh, British Israeli rabbi, and he's been working on a lot of things. Anyway, we went to the the D Shiva. It was so busy. Right, but I remind you that I was saying that I disagreed with an uh, element. So then, of these his... military officials, people from all over Israel and all around the world, came to the D House to uh, comfort them, attempt to comfort them during the Shiva, uh, including military officials. And he told the military officials, please do not endanger any Israeli soldiers and don't allow any Israeli soldiers to be hurt on behalf of killing the people who took away my family. Right. Well, I, I vehemently disagree with that kind right. of... Shalona Da, first Shalona of all, da, we right. shouldn't know from it and we've never been no, in but, that position. Uh, obviously. But, but uh, from the side, you disagree. Not from the side. I'm not I'm from the side. I'm saying not experiencing it as as a person on your own flesh, having experienced that experience. You don't have to experience that experience. We've we, these these people are our family. It's yes. our family, and our and our family is hurt by these things. But it's important to say first thing is that is that the army is itself a risk. The army stands on guard against murderers and would be holocausters. Okay, we're talking about. An, an action of danger it is it, that's what it is being a soldier is being dangerous. a soldier is inherently right. dangerous it's an action of arms and violence that's number one number two with respect to 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 rabbi d a friend and a neighbor the murder of your family if not stopped 
will become the murder of someone else's family. These people can murder somebody else. It's not just your right. cost. Right, right. It could easily turn into the next person's cost. I literally told him that at the Knesset. Oh, and I said what that did he say? He said that other people had told him as well the same oh, thing. Okay. Uh, but I said to him, like, you can't say that. Like, don't talk about endangering the soldiers because everything is endangering the soldiers. And if we get into that mindset that we don't want to endanger, no, we... we but it looks like they listened to him instead it's not of, that they instead listened of to them him. going into... It's not that uh, they listened to him. It happened. No, it's not true right. that they didn't go in. It's not true. They were they were, they were were combined forces there. They were all there. Uh, maybe the final act was, was through this drone, but they were inside the field and they absolutely endangered themselves without even a shadow right. of a doubt. And they stand in danger day and day. Any pilot that gets into a, a flying machine endangers himself. Any 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 soldiers that dealing with weapons endangers themselves. That is the nature of the beast, and we 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 do not shy away from that. That's exactly the whole point of our of our defensive stance. Okay, right. I'm just making that point. Okay. I'm making the fair point. enough. Fine. Um, I want to say another thing. I uh, I I wish, you know. Uh, Something else that Rabbi D said that uh, that was very touching, and I was myself was touched by it, was that Lucy D's Lucy, the the mm-hmm. the mother, of the wife, uh, who was murdered. That wasn't the end of her story, right? Uh, because a video came out of uh, the recipient of Lucy D's heart, a heart transplant, right? And the daughter of Lucy D, one of the surviving children listening to her mother's beating heart in the form of a fellow Jewish woman. Right, whose life will now continue on. I was just like, I got to tell you, I was just like, for me, it was just like that. <laughs> that's like unbelievable yeah. that that you lose I think it's your very life. beautiful also that they, there obviously some people worked on this, right? Like there were people who thought that this would be meaningful for everyone and they put it together and, and then they even, you know, it seems like a very private moment. And yet, like, the D's were willing to publicize it. The the recipient was was willing to publicize right. it. Also to bring up the nation so that people and, would be touched. And and the video shows this woman. I think she was a Russian lady, I think. And she's sitting there. And she's putting the stethoscope to, to her, her chest. chest right. While the one of the daughters. Is, like, crying. Is, like, listening to her mother's heart. Right. I was she's, just like, like, patting the daughter and trying oh to comfort her. As she's crying, listening to her murdered mother's heart in someone else's chest but also like that modern technology allows that 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 that, that this this awful murder happened and yet it saves a life yeah allah i was just like wow right and that's Uh, just one of the recipients i mean she gave a lot of uh her family donated a lot of her organs and um oh my gosh they did it under uh halachic uh under rabbinical supervision yeah um because there's some question marks about about that stuff but anyway that was very very beautiful and um, and we had some more beautiful stuff this week. Well, one beautiful thing that happened was the Speaker of the House, yep. Kevin McCarthy, was in Israel and at the Knesset. He gave a fabulous speech. Uh, the speech especially touched my heart because of the biblical references. Immediately after the speech, I was in Knesset, uh, um, and when, uh, when immediately after the speech, I was just like, I had that thought again. You were able to hear the speech? Yeah. I had that thought again, which was uh, King David. We need to... Wait, why? Because he mentions King David uh-uh. in the speech. And, and I thought to myself, the Bible, King David, that is that is who we are. That's what we need to promote. And I was like, can we do a King David day in the Knesset? 
Can we show a retrospective of pictures? Because there's like the same day, the next day. I uh, mean, certainly around Shavuot, you would think right, they would be able to do. Right, right, right. Shavuot's coming right up. Yes. Yes. And now that you say that, I'm like, oh, man, we that's the, the uh, like, I used to think that we should do the, you know, Gushetzion Efrat day. Um, during um, the Parsha. During the Parsha. No. We no? should do it in, next to Shavuot. Ah, that's nice. We should do it as a King David festival for Shavuot. It makes, uh, it makes technical sense also because... The kids are still in school. It's summertime, and the Knesset's in session. Right, right. So it makes session. It makes like yeah. practical. So sense. like all these things. Like I'm always like I'm always like I I started raking a list of all these things how we can promote the Bible more. You know, uh, and 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 when he gave that speech, notice by the way, didn't mention Palestine, Palestinians, two state solution, all that crap. Yes, Mecca. I want to insert something here for a second. Go on. I looked to the I, I, I did not hear the speech. I read the speech, which yeah. is a beautiful speech and I hope you'll play it here on the show. I noticed, so I'm, I'm going through the speech. I'm like, okay, well, you know, this is an American, like, pretty big representative. He's definitely going to say something about peace. So I'm, like, bracing myself because a lot of times when they talk about peace, it's like... Peace is a dirty pe- word. Peace. It's not a dirty word. It's a nice word, but no. it's like it's a it's a trigger now. Because no, it's what been it co-opted. Means, it's been co-opted yeah, by the bad by guys. by people who want to create a Palestine, right? So I'm like, okay, peace well, means let's, cutting Israel let's in see pieces, what they're going to say. Handing it over to the jihad and right. and creating an enemy of Israel closer. That's right. what that's what that's what the 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 co-option of the word peace means. Right. So so I'm like, okay, where is it? Like I'm I'm scanning this thing. I'm like, <laughs> where is it going to be? Here we go. Yeah. And I see it. There it is. Peace. Yeah. It's like you're you know the Israel's working on peace, and I'm like. Okay. And then he's like, the Abraham Accords. Right. And I was like, wow. Yet again. Now, I know, let's, like, I'm scared to say this word almost because it is such a, like, explosive word in the United States right now with all the news that's going on. But but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Okay, everybody, just... You know, take a nice deep breath. I'm going to say the words Donald Trump, okay? <laughs> I know that it's like, I know you can't even say that. Oh my God, I just that. broke out in hives. Yeah, I know that he's like <laughs> under investigation and maybe he might be icky for this, that, and another reason, okay? But let's just put that aside for a second and, and just examine components of a person rather than, uh, you know, a one person through one lens of one news story. This Abraham Accords thing is so big i i like yet again have to go back and we do this every once in a while like i yet again have to go back and say what an incredible achievement the abraham accords were no i know we're not all prize worthy oh my like 12 nobel prize worthinesses That's that's right it's like the the fact that that nations around the world can look at Israel and go, is it a peacemaking country or not a peacemaking country? Oh, it's a war-making country because of the Palestinians. Wait a second. No, no. It's a peacemaking country because of the Abraham Accords. Yeah. And that, uh, that uh, a, um, a most top-level United States representative can come to Israel and, and acknowledge the peacefulness of Israel. Now, I'm not looking per se for acknowledgement. Don't, don't misunderstand. It's not like that doesn't mean everything to me. But the fact that we can be understood better right. as a country which, in fact, is like the, the peacefulest 
country, the country that wants great relations, the country that can absolutely get along in its region, the country that is part of the upward mobility of, of third world to second world to first world, countries that, that want to rise up and be lucrative and be cooperative and want to uh, be dynamic and enjoy each other's cultures, that we can do all that stuff. Right. That is because of the Abraham Accords. And I really just have to like reiterate my my like wowedness, my my gratitude for those people who engineered this concept of the Abraham Accords, which is not a perfect um, accord, but which is an incredible accord and which which is achieving so much and has achieved so much. And but with God's help, will achieve so much um, and has finally allowed this like allowed us to get out from under the magnifying glass the lens of seeing everything through the the story of the palestinians and has allowed us to be seen uh in a much more correct way and also adds to that the very name abraham accords the very name itself puts israel as what it is an ancient peoples a people that are part of this land not a white interloping right. a people who belong together be- belong to no belong in the land belong i'm saying in the, Middle the abraham East. accords when oh, you talk about abraham right. then you can acknowledge that yes these people all like it works very it good it works together very good you know maka your wish is my command and uh, i can think can we write that down uh, somebody somebody tweet that don't quote me and what i'm saying <laughs> is that you asked to, to play the kevin mccarthy oh. speech on the show and i think that that's appropriate great so let's hear from kevin mccarthy a speaker uh, of the, the house, U.S. House of Representatives uh, here on uh, uh, in Jerusalem in the Knesset and on the Yishai Fleischer Show. Here we go. Members of the Knesset, my congressional colleagues, distinguished guests, and beloved friends, it is an honor to join you in the city of Jerusalem, the internal capital of Israel. This is my very first trip overseas as a U.S. House Speaker of the Representatives. There is no place I'd rather be than right here, right now, with my dear friends, all of you. Today I speak to you not only as American congressional leader, I speak to you today as a lifelong supporter and a true friend of Israel. I am no stranger to your beautiful land. Since coming to Congress in 2007, I have traveled to Israel year after year with hundreds of my colleagues from both sides of the aisle. And today is no different. I am here today, as many times as before, with my good friend, Steny Hoyer, and a bipartisan group of members, if you would all stand. And I choose to come here today to celebrate the bond between our two countries and to reaffirm the bipartisan support for Israel and Congress is at the foundation for our truly special relationship. I begin with words that every person in this chamber will recognize. The land of Israel was the birthplace of the Jewish people. After being forcibly exiled from their land, the people kept faith and never ceased to pray 
and hope for their return to it and for the restoration of it, of their political freedom. Those inspiring words come from your Declaration of Independence. The prayers and hopes it spoke of have become a reality today. Today we celebrate the 75th anniversary of Israel. Over the past three quarters of century, your nation has faced many external threats. But Israel survives and thrives because of its values, courage, resilience, and determination. But, as your declaration reminds us, 75 years is just a blimp in the timeline of Israel. There's no other nation with your long of storied history. 3,500 years ago, Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, through the wilderness and then back to the Promised Land. 3,000 years ago, David reigned as the king of Israel. And soon after, David's son, King Solomon, consecrated the first temple. That temple was destroyed, but its spirit of freedom and faith remains. We see that spirit in the state of Israel today. Israel is resilient. It is strong. Israel is innovative. Israel is blessed. Israel endures. The Lord blessed you from Zion. And may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel, as David has written. It was President John F. Kennedy who said it best. Israel was not created in order to disappear. Israel will endure and flourish. It can be neither broken by adversity nor demoralized by success. Kennedy's words echo throughout this chamber today. Ladies and gentlemen, Israel's rebirth is nothing less than a modern miracle and I thank you for it. The source of that miracle is the people of Israel. In those dark days thousands of years ago when the Jewish people were scattered from Israel, the prophet Isaiah predicted a brighter future to come. Inspired by God, he shared this command, Arise, shine, thy light to come. My friends, today, 75 years after declaring independence, Israel lights shine brighter than ever before. Despite the constant threat of terrorism, Israel remains a thriving democracy in the Middle East. Israel's economy once relied on rationing food and oil. Today, Israel is ranked as the fourth best performing economy among developing nations. <clears throat> its market economy is dynamic, and its remarkable people are bursting with talent and ideas. Its innovative high-tech sector has rightfully earned the nickname that Israel has, the startup nation. It was Theodore Hulls, the founder of modern Zionists, who predicted 
Give us a piece of land to hold on to, and the rest we will do ourselves. Herzl was right. The story of Israel is a story of survival against the perils of war and terrorism. It's a story of pioneers fulfilling a sacred promise inspired by our commitment to freedom, to family, to faith in God. It is a story about making the deserts bloom and building a thriving, innovative economy. And it is a story of hope that continues to inspire millions around the world, especially me and my fellow Americans, regardless of our political party. The United States cherishes this unbreakable bond with Israel. I'm proud that my country recognized your country 11 minutes after it declared its independence, the first country to do so. But our special relationship is even closer. It's more personal and more powerful than we might even realize. You know, this point was driven home to me last night by a very thoughtful gift from your speaker, Ohana. It was a gift of a picture of a story I did not know, of an Israeli pilot training in the city of Bakersfield, California where I was born, where I was raised, where I live, where I represent. There's a story behind this picture, though. More than 75 years ago, on the eve of the Israeli War of Independence, a female flight instructor and a patriot named Eleanor Rudnick organized a training program for Israeli fighter pilots at her airfield in Bakersfield, California. Now in all, there was only 13 volunteers, including two women who took this drooling course. Only three finished. Now technically, the program was illegal because Israel didn't exist as a modern state and America was neutral. But why? Why did these pilots do it? What compelled them to risk their lives to help reestablish the state of Israel. As we look around this room, we know the answer. We all know it. It was faith and it was freedom. Those values are worth fighting for and even dying for, and especially today. And so they took to the sky not knowing what the future would hold, but knowing that God and million Americans were their allies in this cause. They won. Despite all odds, they won. And because they won, the state of Israel was reborn. Seventy-five years has passed since those heroes helped secure Israel's independence. Most has only recently graduated from school. At the time, the joys and struggles of life were just ahead of them. And now, while they rest in peace, their sacrifice and legacies live on in a free and independent Israel and its special bond with the United States. You see, this picture tells us a deeper story. If we remain united, 
then the forces of freedom and democracy will always prevail. This is the foundation of our special relationship. We are the only two countries in history that were conceived in liberty and dedicated the proposition that all are equal. Our values are your values. Our heritage is your heritage. Our dreams are your dreams. America is grateful for our friendship with Israel. We are a better nation because of it. And we must never shy away from defending it. We have come so far in 75 years, but the promise of years ahead is just as compelling. I believe the best days for Israel and an unbreakable bond are ahead of us. My greatest hope is that our special relationship can serve as a foundation for greater peace across the Middle East. The progress towards peace in the past few years has simply been remarkable. Thanks to the Abraham Accords, coexistence and cooperation are beginning to replace conflict and intolerance. As a result, a future where your children can enjoy a just and lasting peace is not only foreseeable, it is attainable. Congress has supported the dramatic breakthroughs of the Abraham Accords. Last week, we passed a bipartisan resolution celebrating the 75th anniversary of commending the Abraham Accords as well. I actually have that resolution with me right here and signed. Now, it states in absolute terms that the U.S. stands with Israel, supports the Abraham Accords, and upholds that Israel has the right to defend itself. My friends, Congress stands ready to work with Israel to broaden and deepen those accords, working for sustainable peace with all of Israel's neighbors. But as we welcome peace, we cannot ignore the threats to peace in our region. Those threats have one primary cause, the rogue Iranian regime. Most of the turmoil in this region of violence and instability can be traced back to that source, which continues to fund terrorism, arms its proxy militias, and pursues nuclear weapons. Iran seeks to destabilize Iraq. It wants to entrench missiles in Syria. It empowers the terrorist organization Hezbollah in Lebanon. And it is fueling a brutal civil war in Yemen. And among all this aggression, it seeks to encircle Israel with hostile forces. We cannot allow Iran regime evil campaign to succeed.
to deter. To deter Iran's dangerous behavior, our nations must continue to stand together. We, the United States, integrated Israel into our central command and are continuing to carry out military exercises together. As long as I am Speaker, America will continue to support fully funding for security assistance in Israel. Together, we will defeat Iran's precision-guided missiles, their drones, their terror tunnels, and cyber attacks. As we stand shoulder to shoulder against Iran's regional aggression, we must always remain resolute in our commitment that Iran will never acquire a nuclear weapon. As we pursue peace in this region, we must also expand the economic cooperation between our two countries. In our systems of innovation and creativity are our greatest allies, our greatest sources of strength, our greatest fuel for prosperity. For decades, our nations have worked together on agricultural research, clean energy, new technologies, cyber defense, and so much more. To strengthen our command of the next generation of technology, Congress established a working group for bilateral military research and development in 2021. This will allow us to benefit from each other's innovation, especially in military technology. We've seen successes of technological cooperation in so many areas. Today, however, our innovation is at risk from a new threat the Chinese Communist Party. While the CCP may disguise itself as promoters of innovation, in truth, they act like thieves. We must not allow them to steal our technology. In the United States, we are working to protect innovation and the prosperity with which it renews focus. You know, we have a review process called the Committee of Foreign Investment in the United States, or as we refer to as a CFIUS. I want to thank you, and I'm glad that Israel has put into place a process to review foreign investments. I strongly encourage Israel to further strengthen its oversight of foreign investment, particularly Chinese investment, building on the steps that you first took in 2019. If we cooperate, then I'm confident we will meet the challenge and ensure a brighter future for both of our nations. The final priority for the future I want to discuss is ending efforts to delegitimize and discriminate against Israel. Whether it's the toxic boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, or the constant attacks of Israel at the United Nations, prejudice against Israel on the world stage is damaging and destructive. There is no clearer example than the UN Rights Council, which has passed over 90 anti-Israeli resolutions since 2006. 
Yet they have turned a blind eye to true human rights violations by Iran, North Korea, and China. My colleagues and I in Congress will continue to stand with Israel, and we will increase the pressure on the United Nations to end these outrageous attacks. As we take the next steps in enhancing and bolstering our ongoing diplomatic and security dialogues, I want Congress and the Knesset to work close as possible together. As Speaker, I will continue to push for a formal interparliamentarian group between the United States and Israel. But I do not want to wait to start that collaboration between the House of Representatives and you, the Knesset. Therefore, today, I will establish a House-Knesset parliamentary friendship group so we can continue the strength of our bonds and build mutual understanding as elected representatives and work better together democracy to democracy. We will engage more directly with the Knesset, travel to Israel to strengthen existing relationships and forge new ones. Similarly, we will host Knesset members who wish to travel to the United States to do the same in Congress. This will be part of a new chapter of U.S.-Israel relations, and I look forward to working closer with your speaker, Ohana, in this endeavor. Now let me close with this. The rebirth of Israel is truly a miracle. Peace, liberty, and prosperity are the foundations of our nation's success. They are also the cornerstone of our special relationship. Our special relationship stands for freedom. It stands for safety. It stands for hope. Together, let us work to move forward towards a brighter future. Together, we will work to build a world in which our children live in more peace enjoy more robust economic ties, and are treated with the respect and fairness they deserve. This is our shared mission. I look forward to working with you as we strengthen this unique and indispensable bond. God bless you. God bless Israel. God bless America. And God bless our special relationship for the next 75 years. All right, folks, I just want to mention uh, two of our sponsors of the show, which is uh, two great news outlets. Uh, Malka, you work for JNS.org, which is a fabulous news outlet, putting out the Yishai Fleischer show uh, and also putting out great news. I just looked at today. I looked at the, uh, the email that they put out. I do recommend that you sign up for emails from news outlets. I really do, because sometimes going to a news outlet is a pain, right, but if you like get it lot, in your, your inbox, eyeballs. it gives you a real sense. And these two uh, are fabulous... Uh, Jewish-Israeli news outlets. One is JNS.org. The other one is JewishPress.com. They have a different style, a different tenor. Both have great stuff. Right, both and, very good. And I recommend it. I want to say it to you now, get it to your high school kids. Mm. Get it to your high school kids. Mm. Have them sign up. Have them start to see the real stories. 
Because if you don't. Right. Their eyes are going to be flooded. Right. And don't let them read the bad stuff. So jns.orgjewishpress.com. All right, that was a fabulous speech, Fantastic. and uh, and I think also uh, one that really touches a lot of the points that that, that touch Israelis, and the Kol Kavod, as we say. Right, he gets it. Yeah, he gets it. He and, gets it. You know, and and uh, Kol Kavod to the team that that put out uh, this this whole this whole process. I know a lot of people involved in this, and beautiful, uh, it's beautiful. Lots of respect. Um, okay, uh, Manka. I just want to say one more thing about Kevin McCarthy, by the way who has been coming to Israel as a congressman for a really long time uh, on, like, you know, Israel visiting trips. Oh, he got a special gift uh, from from the uh, Speaker the, of our the House. Israeli Speaker of the House, Amir Ohana, uh, who's a very good speaker. Um, they, I think they have a good relationship. He mentions him in his speech a couple of times. Well, he, he, he was invited, not by the Prime Minister, but, but, but by the Speaker Incredible. of the House. Such so. a good, beautiful, such what, a good move. And what was that Anyway, gift? so... so um, so Omir Ohana gave him, I think he talked about it, is that he gave him this beautiful uh, picture of Israelis being trained before the state um, in Bakersfield, where he's from. Um, and the, the woman, he talks about it, the woman who, uh, who trained them is uh, kind of did it illegally, but she wanted to support the state of Israel and help these early pilots. Uh, but I just wanted to say, I just wanted to say that um, another thing I really appreciated is that Speaker McCarthy um, got a little political here also, and he noted that our Prime Minister, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, has not been invited to the White House. And I just really appreciated that he said that if the Biden administration doesn't invite him to the White House, that he'll invite uh, Netanyahu to uh, speak to the House. Um, and I just appreciated that because this cold shoulder that we get um, from the Biden administration, you know, I for those people who know, we know that that's not a reflection on the citizens of the United States. And it's just nice to see the Speaker of the House speaking freely and clearly uh, for the American people and their support for Israel. Very good. Very good, Maka. Maka, there was uh, there was yet another very important phenomenon that happened last week, which I did not get to speak about. And I feel a little bit uh, that I that I that I missed an opportunity, so I have to touch it a little bit. And that is that last week was the Torah portions of a Haremot Kedoshim. Yeah. And this is a very important Torah portion, uh, especially Kedoshim. Both, of course, every Torah portion is uh, is is important. But really, just a few things that I think that that must be mentioned uh, from last week uh, to today. So. First, before I go on, once I'm already mentioning Torah, then let us have our resident rabbi, Rabbi Shimshon Akon Neidel, a rabbi in Jerusalem, from Jerusalem's Kihilat Zichron Yosef, Rabbi Shimshon Akon Neidel. And here he is talking about the legality in Jewish law of creating new festivals. And of course, this is the question of Yom Atzimut and Israel Independence Day and Yom Yerushalayim. You'll hear an excellent halachic. Halacha means Jewish law and how we resolve those things in the discussion by Rabbi Shimshon Eidel. So here we go. Shalom Yishai. Following the miraculous birth of the State of Israel in 1948 and the dramatic unification of Jerusalem in 1967, the chief rabbinate, together with leading authorities, established Yom HaAtzmaut and Yom Yerushalayim as full-fledged festivals with the recitation of special prayers, including Hallel. But the question, however, debated by many authorities was, is it even permissible to add new holidays to the Jewish calendar? 
According to the Ramban, creating a new Jewish holiday violates the prohibition of Baltosif, adding to the mitzvot of the Torah. But throughout Jewish history, both communities and individuals who experienced a miraculous salvation established Purims, festivals to be celebrated just like Purim, in commemoration of the miracle. In the 16th century, the Jewish community of Lepanto, today Nafpaktos in Greece, established a holiday to give thanks to God for sparing them from imminent destruction. Members of the community then asked Rabbi Moshe Alashkar if they were justified in creating such a holiday to celebrate the salvation. They also inquired if future generations and those no longer living in the community too must celebrate. The Maharam Alashkar, a leading authority at the time, ruled that indeed community leaders have the authority to establish such a day and it is binding upon the members of the community, both present and future, no matter where they reside. But the pre-Chadash, Rabbi Chizkiah de Silva, however, was very upset with this practice and criticized the Jewish communities in Greece and Egypt for establishing new holidays. He based his objection on Megillat Ta'anit, the scroll of the fasts, a list of 35 festivals which were observed during the Second Temple period when it was prohibited to fast and mourn on those days and eulogize. He cites a passage in the Talmud in Tractate Rosh Hashanah which relates that following the destruction of the Temple, Megillat Ta'anit, together with all of the festivals described in it, become null and void. Accordingly, he rules that neither a community nor an individual has the authority to declare new festivals today. But Rabbi Moshe's Sofer, the famed Chatam Sofer, defended the practice of instituting new holidays, arguing that even according to the opinion that Megillat Ta'anit is null and void following the destruction of the Temple, the holidays of Chanukah and Purim, also mentioned in Megillat Ta'anit, were never nullified. Accordingly, festivals created to commemorate a miraculous salvation patterned after Hanukkah and Purim are indeed permitted. He concludes by noting how both he and his teacher, Rabbi Natan Adler, were careful to observe Purim Frankfurt, even when no longer living in Frankfurt. Purim Frankfurt, also known as Purim Vince, celebrates the downfall of the wicked Vincent Svetmilch, who led a populist uprising and pogrom against the Jews of Frankfurt am Main in 1614, forcing them to flee the city until the emperor personally intervened. Even today, the Jewish community of Frankfurt still celebrates the 20th of Adar, the day when Fetmilch and his followers were hanged and the Jews returned to their homes, escorted by imperial soldiers. Elsewhere, the Chatham Sofer is critical of those who celebrate Lagba Omer, as the day is not mentioned anywhere in rabbinic literature and doesn't commemorate any miracle or salvation. But establishing a festival to mark a miraculous event, he writes, is a biblical requirement, and one who does not do so is in violation of not performing a positive commandment. Rabbi Avram Danziger, the Chai Adam, also ruled that it is a mitzvah for an individual or a community to establish such a holiday. He relates how he himself established a holiday on the day when he and his family were spared after a powder keg explosion destroyed a number of homes, including his own, claiming the lives of 31 people. The Magen of Raham and Mishnah Bura both record that a community can indeed create a Purim for themselves and for future generations on a day in which they experience the miraculous salvation. And over the centuries, tens and tens of communities and families have established these Purims, sometimes with the recitation of special prayers or meals, even sometimes reading from a special Megillah written to commemorate the event. 
with the establishment of the state of Israel, the chief rabbinate, together with leading authorities, looked to these precedents in establishing Yom HaAtzma'ut and later Yom Yerushalayim as religious holidays. One such authority, Rabbi Mosholem Roth, wrote that it is a mitzvah to celebrate Israel's Independence Day as a joyous festival with the recitation of Hallel marking the miracle of our salvation and freedom. Yom HaAtzma'ut and Yom Yerushalayim are days which possess profound religious significance and meaning. These are days of great divine providence, miracles and wonders, and deserve religious expression. By celebrating them as festivals, we express our thanks for the tremendous gift of the State of Israel and Jerusalem. Maki, you know, you know who I love? I love the Israel Bible. They put out great stuff. You know, uh, the Israel Bible is absolutely uh, 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 an excellent addition for your house. Um, don't read it in the bathroom because it's holy. Right. Don't put oh. it underneath other books. That's right. It, but it's got a beautiful cover. The 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 books of the of the Jewish Bible. Uh, the classic testament, the the uh, the testament, the authentic testament. Okay, uh, and and I love everybody else, but you know, gotta sell my the way we see the world. Uh, God bless you guys. But the real the, the real good stuff uh, is found at theisraelbible.com. If you put in coupon code Yisha, you get a great book, great commentary about specifically the land of Israel. Great editing, not of the Bible, but of the English uh, by Tully Weiss, and and it's an absolute must, and it's a great great gift. Thank you, Rabbi Shimshon Akoy Nadel. That was fabulous, and uh, and I, you know, I I love that Rabbi Shimshon brings all these, you know, discussions that, uh, especially for my my Gentile friends, uh, folks part of the international Torah community, things that they don't they don't get to see all this 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 depth of Judaism. Right. If people don't understand like how much thinking and how many, you know, what is a, dis- a halachic decision? How does that really get formulated and discussed? Uh, I wanted to talk about really one verse in last week's Torah portion, which is Kiddushim. And that verse is very simple. Maka, that verse is found oftentimes printed on stickers inside Israeli buses. It just says, Mipnei Seivat Takum. That's what it says. It says three words, which is, in the face of people with gray hair, you should rise. As in, give your seat. Get up. Get up. Give your seat to, to older people. Um, but the simple meaning is, honor the people who are honor older than elders. you. Honor the elders. Honor the elders. The full verse uh, is in, Chapter 19, verse uh, uh, 32, Perek Yutet, Pasuk Lamed Bet, Sefer Vaikra, it says, Mipnei Seivat Takum, as we just said, from a person with gray hair, you should rise, Vahadarta Pnei Zaken, honor the face of the elder. Vireta Mielokecha, and fear God, Ani Hashem, I am God. Do you know, if I had to put one word, one word on this verse, it would be conservatism. What? That's the word? That's it. The idea is honor the knowledge and the heritage from uh, the elders. That's what it means. It means... To conserve. Con- no, it means from the word conservative, which is like we believe that the past has what to teach us, that the heritage handed down has meaning. This one verse is like, if you believe this verse or if you don't believe this verse, your whole world changes. Do you believe that the past has truth and justice to pass on? Do you believe that parents and elders are important? Do you believe that, 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 that you know, newfangled ideas are good as long as they're tempered 
uh, by the knowledge of the past? Do you believe that you're carrying a heritage? Do you have an identity that comes to you from the past? If you don't have an identity that comes to you from the past, if the knowledge of the past is questionable and weird and, and part of hokey, uh, you know, religions and ways of, you know, things of, uh, you know. Right. The people behind you were backward, but you've got it all figured out. Right. It completely changes your whole life outlook. Do you, simply put, do you rise for the elder? Do you believe that? Do you believe that though his body or her body may be weakened? Right. They're not as pretty as you. Right. But do they have something to give? Are they an incredibly valuable? Do they have experience? I'll just give you an example. It's the funniest example. It happened like 30 minutes ago. Okay. I was supposed to get a payment from, from this organization that pays this other organization. It's supposed to transfer it to me. I sent them two emails, okay. right? Uh, asking, did you get the payment? Right. So I was about to, and I didn't receive an answer back. And then I go, I was about to write uh, this, this lady who I'm in touch with a, a, a little WhatsApp. And I wrote it being like, you know, I wrote you two responses, but I didn't get back a response. Okay. I was like, oh, but I don't, maybe I missed it. Or maybe there's some, maybe she did write it, but there might be some computer problem either on my spam side or on hers. So I wrote, but I didn't see your response. She immediately wrote me back. Well, I wrote you two responses. Oh, snap. But it was, and I was like, aha. Wait, what does that have to do it was the wisdom of experience to say, ah. not that you didn't write me back an email. I sent you an email. You didn't write me back an email. I didn't see it. I changed that word. I changed right, one right, word right. to be like, I didn't see it. Did you, you know? And I, I put it much more. It was a tiny word, but it came from experience. It came nice. from experience, you know, from long experience of, of different things, of communications. And, I, and the point is when, you know, when, like, for example, I see as, as I'm teaching the kids, my mom was telling me the other day, my mother was telling me that our daughter, Leah, made quite an impression on another guy and when he was arguing with her she'd listen to him and she'd be like ah that's interesting but i disagree because of this and that she listened good job one of the things that i'm always teaching the kids is don't answer fast say hmm i hear you that's interesting let me think about that use these words to a, a acknowledge that the other person said something give him the her or him the the honor and b actually contemplate maybe there's some wisdom in it and certainly don't show that the only thing you're interested in this conversation is getting is your winning. thing out right, right. so so it, these are little things but i've been training it it comes through wisdom and your whole society changes. Your whole thing changes. Do you believe that the Bible has wisdom, or do you think it's just a, uh, you know, a, a backwards book of, of of a bunch of cavemen? You know what I mean. So, like, d does the past have what to teach us in language and in and in and in morality? And and then there are questions. Certainly, certainly, the Torah portion of Achrei Mok Toshim has a lot of sexual limitations. Okay, a lot of them. Uh, a very serious one. Well, is it all just hokey backwardsness, or is it you know something that 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 needs to be taught and to the children and to the children from a young age, from a young age? Do we want to discuss with them what are okay marriages and not okay marriages? Okay, uh, uh, th these are very important things. And so that that you know one of the famous phrases from the Torah portion is love your neighbor as yourself. I am God, and don't don't uh, don't. Uh, um, what's it called, Malka, revenge and avenge and all that kind of stuff. When when a fellow Jew does something bad to you, that's the kind of revenge. We're not talking about the avengeance of of, of justice and of blood, which we just did with the D family. But th that's known as a very famous verse. I don't want to even get into that. But I'm saying this verse, you know, just honor, honor the past. The past has what to teach us. That changes your whole world outlook. One tiny little verse, and I'm, so this one is something that, of course, you, you want to uh, teach your children. And I want to remind people something that I always say. 
when you talk to your children and you say to them, you have to demand from children to to honor their parents because it's good for them. But remember, when you say that to the children, when you say to them, honor you know, your father and your mother, you have to speak to me with, with honor. You have to not sit in your father's or mother's chair, that kind of thing. All these kind of limitations. When you do that, add to them, which is what I add to my kids all the time, which is I say, please notice, that's what I do for my mom. Okay, and I did it with my father when he was alive. Uh, the, the point is, it's a multi-generational thing. It's not like, it doesn't derive from, I want you to honor me. No, it's a whole outlook of, 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 of how we respect the past through honoring our parents, trying to get as much knowledge from them, moving it to the next generation. I see it now, like we are training the next generation. And it's an incredible responsibility. And it is, how should I say, don't minimize the responsibility that you have as a parent and as an educator, wherever you are, in any place that you are. Like you, don't minimize your role. Don't minimize your role at the, at the water fountain. Don't minimize your role in saying the right word, in putting out that right uh, social media post. Don't minimize it. It affects people. It touches real people's lives. I'm serious. Like I'm telling you, the listener, the friend, don't minimize your impact on others, really. You don't understand. I don't care if you're living in Manitoba. Wherever it is, you are touching people when you just say the right thing about Israel, about God, about, about Judaism, about, about faith in, in God, in the Bible, in, the, in our elders, etc., etc. Uh, that's what I wanted to say. Uh, speaking uh, of uh, elders, did I have another thing to play? Oh, of course. I had an amazing conversation. Uh, I was on a podcast with Jay Height. Okay. Right. Uh, who is an international lawyer, especially dealing with family matters and divorce across uh, across international boundaries. Uh, he's a great patriot and a great Zionist, and he's got a great podcast out there. Uh, but he happened to interview me for his podcast. His sister, who at the time was, when I was in high school, was known as Lisa Height, but then became our good friend Leah Goldman. I mean, she was always that. Her name changed to Leah Goldman uh, and married our good friend Shmuel Goldman, had a lot of kids, and then sadly died from cancer. A good friend of of, of ours. Yes. Uh, her yard site is 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 coming up. Uh, I think on the uh, in Av. on the fifth of Av, I think, or the fourth of Av. The fourth of Av. That's right. Uh, is coming up. Why do I remember that? Because the Ariz yard site is the fifth of Av. Uh, he had me. So so her brother Jay had me on the show. And I wanted to play you that conversation in full because I think it could be instructive and useful. And it's really about living in Israel, Aliyah, and the challenges of it. So here's uh, Jay Height and uh, me on his program. Enjoy. Nice. Hello, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking with Rabbi Yishai Fleischer. Yishai is an Israel activist. He's also a Hebron uh, activist. And he broadcasts and lectures uh, throughout the U.S. to Jewish groups. Uh, and Yishai, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Well, I am the international spokesman for the Jewish community of Hebron, which means that I work for the township. I, I work for um, uh, what makes this, you know, the town keep growing and building and bringing in a million tourists a year. And so this means also developing tourist attractions. It means education. It means speaking to groups. Uh, all the time, including right-wing groups, left-wing groups, middle groups, Israeli groups, American groups, European groups. So that's Hebron, and, and I love this town. I've always loved this town because this town holds the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs uh, of the Jewish people. So we're the root of Jewish peoplehood. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's to get to hang out with uh, with Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Leah. 
And it's also a town that's uh, very controversial. Uh, there's a lot of folks that don't believe that we should be here. And then there are folks that understand, like like myself, that this is actually the root of our grip in the land of Israel. Uh, so that's one thing that I do. Um, I'm also an advisor to uh, Minister of National Security, Minister Itamar Ben-Gvir, uh, which is uh, an exciting and fun part of uh, of what I've been doing in the last few months. And on top of that, I do, uh, you know, in Israel, I do a podcast out of Israel every single week, uh, the Shai Fleischer Show, which has a lot of listeners all over the world. And I have a few projects that I'm pushing ahead through my 501c3, which is called Kuma, uh, including trying to change the name of Route 60, uh, which is a road that goes from Beersheba to Hebron, to Bethlehem, Beit Lechem, to Yerushalayim, to Beit El, to Shiloh, to Shechem, and to the Jezreel Valley, trying to change the name of this amazing road uh, to the Israel Biblical Highway. So that's part of the uh, that's part of the action. Uh, it's it's busy and it's fun, yeah. um, and I get to fly around also and, and touch uh, communities around the world, uh, give give out sparks, take in sparks. That's it. So it's a busy life, but really it's all in the effort. It's all within one uh, framework or one one let's call it um, mission statement. And that is to bring uh, God's presence back to Zion, to return the Jewish people to Zion, to make sure people are safe here in, in Eretz Israel, uh, that, that it becomes the central hub of, of the Jewish world, and that it's also the spiritual superpower that it's supposed to be, a, a kind of hub of spirituality for all peoples around the world. So altogether, it's, it's kind of focused on that and whatever God has given me the chance to, to do to further that mission. Amazing. I always say it's amazing when we have the opportunity to put our values into our everyday work. At least I know for me. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, okay. So, Yishai, a couple of uh, personal questions for you. Okay? Sure. Thank you. So, I guess the, the first one is, uh, you know, how long have you been living here in Israel? About 20 years now, thank God. Almost 20 years. In the downtimes, there was recently, you know, real tensions in Israel and terrorist acts and, and societal tensions. And I, I said to my wife, like, I'm so glad I'm here for the bad times. Like, I want to be here for the bad times. Of course, I want to be here for the good times, but I also want to be here in the bad times. I want to be here for, for good and for bad. I, you know, and if, and if our nation is struggling with bad times, I want to be here. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that struggle. Like, it's, it's, it's really a question of, of wanting to tie your destiny into building the Jewish state. It's, of course, a biblical promise come to life. Um, and it's all those things that you would expect. And in and, and one word, it's really Zionism. Like, do you have it burning inside yourself or not? You know, I came up with this term called the Aliyah uh, Revolution. Uh, but, I, but I figured out later on that before the Aliyah Revolution comes the Aliyah Revelation, where you're like, oh, this is what I want to be. I want to be part of this nation. I want to be part of its good times and bad times. You know, the, the Torah tells us that the land of Israel is a, is a land of hills and valleys. And I always explain that, that it's not just hills and valleys, it's ups and downs. It's a, it's a land of ups and downs. There's ups and downs, and you got to hold on and, and have faith in, in those times. Uh, but I want to say to you that sometimes when Israelis ask you, you know, they ask you, like, why'd you make Aliyah? When you give them the straight answer, they sometimes, like, roll their eyes, and, and they don't understand it. And I've taught my sister and brother and, and my wife that sometimes it's just better to give a ridiculous answer. People say to you, like, why'd you make Aliyah? You got to be like, it's the worst thing I ever did. And then they immediately go, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Wait, you know, like sometimes we, we get into uh, what, um, 
what a great psychologist, I forgot his name is right now, but a great Jewish psychologist said that we get into this like zombie mode. Um, we get into this zombie mode where we just like answer in a zombie way. So why'd you make Leah? Oh, you're one of those people that has the, you know, you're, 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 you know, you're religious and, and you're Zionistic, but you're not realistic. And so you kind of roll your eyes at them when you sometimes just throw them off and say like, you know, like, you know, uh, I came here, you know, because, you know, I don't know. Because, you know, either either say it was a mistake or say, you know, I came here for the girls or I came here for for the food or so just throw them off a little bit. Don't give them the standard answers. So when you ask me the question, like, like my, my instinct is to already not give the standard answer. Uh, the answer on, but, yeah, but, but listen, we're not we're not cynical Israelis here. We're, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I have a term for that also, which is Sionut, Lotsiniut. Zionism, not cynicism. Uh, That's the, well, yeah, I'll so I'll tell you with, with a lot of my friends, one of the uh, funny things is, you know, first of all, I have almost all, I'm married to an Israeli, almost all of our friends, or all of our closer friends are Israelis. And yeah, you know, they look at me like, hey, you're a little bit messed up. Why would you be coming here? Even right. religious ones. That's the one that drives me crazy the most, you know. But just every, every once in a while, I just keep telling them, explaining to them, listen, guys. You know, you're missing the big picture. And I say this, by the way, also with some of my kids, you know, because they've only lived here, or at least from being little kids only lived here. And they don't understand what it is to live outside of your country or to be a minority or to be a, a religious minority. And they just don't get it. And, you know, one of the, the things that sometimes really makes my day is where sometimes I have uh, Israeli friends who will come and say, Oh, Jay, you know, I listened to what you said, or I read something that you wrote, and I get it, you know, so, but I, yeah. I definitely hear you. As, an, as a, I remember in the army also, I can't tell you how many times people ask me, oh, you know, well, why are you here? And I say, well, what do you mean? It's like the first Jewish army in 2000 years. Of course, I'm going to be here. And right. What are you, have you lost your mind? You don't have to be here, and you're volunteering, and you're coming for this? And they're like, what are you guys missing? But right. Right, but at some point I got tired of those uh, those reactions, and I just started saying crazy things just just to elicit a different reaction. I would just be like, "Yeah, it's a horrible mistake," or I would say, "You know, uh, you know, my wife dragged me here," or I don't know some ridiculous answer just to see them like like deal with it because uh, because and then tell them the real answer. But first, like shock them out of this like you know the cyn the cynical attitude. Which is absurd. Why? Why would anybody be cynical about Israel? It's the most exciting project of the Jewish people in two thousand years. This is the big one. This this is the exciting project that we've been waiting for. So to be cynical about it is absurd. But that's a fact that people do uh, sometimes. You know, um, we we live in an age of great revelation. I guess the opposite side of that, the 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 connecto kind of the the karmic you know other side of that is that people are just cynical about this amazing time. So if you can help them break out of it, it's good. Yeah. All right. Well, next question. After about 20 years, what do you love the most about Israel? And what do you dislike the most about Israel? Well, let's talk about dislikes a little bit. You know, I still think that the driving culture is is something that, that can be and should must be fixed. I think that driving culture in the end leads to a lot of death. Um, I, I think that um, I think that um, accepting the Arab jihadism uh, not everybody's a jihadist, but we have we have a lot of jihadism in our land, including no-go zones in Jerusalem and all kinds of places that you're afraid to go to. 
And I think that just the fact that we've accepted that in our land there is this like neo-Nazism is is really it's you know it's, it shouldn't be acceptable. It shouldn't be okay at, at all. Um, and I also you know struggle with the fact that uh, places like Hebron, which are really root stories of the Jewish people, root root parts of our narrative, mm-hmm. are, are are seen as totally foreign to our to our you know uh, na- our national story and our national story is this very um um uh, anemic uh kind of story where it's like okay we came in 48 and now we have high tech and that's not the story of israel the story of israel is that this is the third commonwealth and that we're an indigenous people that have returned to our homeland and and that we've reached national self-determination and that we are a light yeah, on the ever done it Sorry. That's right. The only ones I've ever done it. That's right. Okay. And so, 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 you know, th- those things are, th- there's many bothersome things. And I think another bothersome thing is that we're still in a place um, that is, uh, uh, still has a deep roots of socialism in it. And so money is harder to make. And you go to America to visit American Jews and you just see that they are generally wealthier and things cost less. And that is, that's not 100% true. And it's easier today to make money than Israel than ever before. And we're moving in the right direction. Still, though, you know, it, it is it is frustrating to be, have to make that choice, that ideological choice, and but to give up, you know, uh, material comforts that it's not really necessary. There's no reason to do it that way. There's just no reason to do it. Uh, so, you know, and a lot of it is taxes and bureaucracy and stuff like that. And 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 you you could get frustrated. Yeah. Also, I think another frustrating thing about our beloved country Israel is that our system of democracy is way less thought out than the American system. This is something that bothers me. The you know the American system was really really weighted and and checked and double checked about how to create a system of checks and balances and you know the Federalist Papers and this, this deep thought about how to create a country that runs well and that makes sure that. You know that 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 the that the that the elites are not the only power holders here in Israel. It's not like that. You basically you know elect uh, uh, a government that has no geographic representation. Uh, the the Supreme Court is overpowered, um, and 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 you don't sense that there's there's a sense that the bureaucrats are very powerful here in Israel. So these are all you know systematic issues that are frustrating about about our country. Um, that being said, you know, the whole idea is that we are going to take part in the bettering and the, and the building of Israel, um, and look at it squarely, you know, without rose colored glasses and see it for real and try to try to make it a better country and, 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 you know, a better Jewish state. So, uh, I think that's part of the great privilege, the great honor of being here. Uh, with regarding to what I love about Israel, the, uh, everything else is, you know, every day is something you love about Israel. It's, it's I, I still every day find myself, you know, getting a ping if it's just speaking Hebrew or if it's meeting great people along the road. I was at a protest, the, uh, a rally the other night, and I needed to get up on some wall that I wanted to sit down. I just looked up to try to get up this wall. I'm like, this wall is too tall for me. And immediately a dude was right next to me being like, I'll give you a lift. You know, so just just that. Speaking of lifts, I pick up hitchhikers. I love that. Seeing your kids grow up in Israel, see them grow up with with Tanakh and with Zionist values, the food in Israel. Uh, I was just in America, and food is fine, but it's not the same. There's just there's a pop to the food 
here in Israel, and, and there's just spiritual experiences that you have here that are on a different level, and you never have that feeling of a little bit of guilt. I hate that feeling. I, I like, like so many of my, you know, American friends, North American friends, who I respect tremendously. You know, they're always, they always live with this bifurcated sense where they wish they, that they were, and I'm always helping them. I'm always saying to them, buy an apartment. That's my number one advice. Buy an apartment in Israel. Take that step. Take steps. My, my thing isn't just to bash people over the head with, with Aliyah messaging, but rather to tell them how to take a step towards Israel. But one of the things that I see that they suffer from is this bifurcation, this internal sense that like they're here and, and they want to stay in America and their parents are in America, their business is in America, but they wish they could be in Israel. And so there's always that feeling. And I don't want to have that feeling in my life. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to live with that bifurcated feeling. If, 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 if it's, if it's one of the festival holidays, I want to be in Jerusalem and, and I, you know, and I want to, I want to touch it. I want to touch the action. I, I, I suffer from FOMO. I'm a FOMO guy, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to suffer from FOMO. I don't, I don't want to be somewhere and be like, oh, I wish I was somewhere else. I hate that. So that that's that's basically it. So every single day, there's there's a there's a moment of beauty uh, that 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 you're like, you know, wow, what what a, what an honor. But again, it's also for me. It's like if you can if you can touch it and move it in the right direction just a little bit, that's the greatest pleasure. If you could just affect it a tad, you're like, wow, that that that's 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 what I came here to do. And uh, Baruch Hashem, so far I've had the opportunities to have little impacts, and I'm thankful for it. That's amazing, really amazing. Uh, all right, you touched about your family a little bit. Uh, so looking at your kids, I know both both you and your wife are, are uh, Anglo-Saxon. So the question I have for you, looking at your kids and the next generation, Anglo's. Or Israelis? Yeah, first thing is, let me correct you. We're not Anglo-Saxons. Saxons are a type of people like Jutes. I say we are Jews, not Jutes. So I, I've always had an issue with that term. So I don't use the term Anglo-Saxon because that's actually like a Germanic peoples. We are not Anglo-Saxons. We are Anglos as in English speakers. Look, I'll tell you the truth. I wish that my family was even more Hebrew speaking uh, in, in the house, but I married an American gal. And uh, so, so they are. They certainly everybody speaks Hebrew, uh, but but the 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 household has a, an Anglo feel to it, no doubt about it. Um, but that's that's circumstances of life, you know. So it's a little bit more percentage this way as opposed to this way. I wish it was a little bit more this way, but that's the way it is. That's life. And moreover, hey, I think that well today the biggest difference mm -hmm. is the internet. Yeah. Okay. My kids are entertained by American internet, by American, you know, by American entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, and that changes culturally uh, what is in your, you know, mental, uh, mental diet. Um, when I was here, you know, in let's say 95, there was extremely rare that you ever had any kind of English language entertainment or anything like that. So, for example, I remember that you would sometimes be able to tune into Jordanian radio and they would play like rock music. You'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe it. There's Bon Jovi. I can't believe like. But it wasn't, you couldn't get it easily. It was, it was, it was hard to attain. Today, it's a keystroke away and you are culturally in a different place. You could be, by the way, any cultural space. It could be French, it could be Russian, it could be American, it could be whatever. In Hebron, where you're living, the uh, children that your children are with in school and stuff, 
are they mostly uh, Israelis, mostly Chutznikim? You know, what, what's well, that? Let, let me make a correction. I work for Hebron, but I work at, I live in Efrat, which is up the street about 30 minutes. And that beautiful Efrat is a 40% Anglo town. Uh, so there's, you know, so people that come over for lunch and dinner are oftentimes Anglos. Not necessarily this Shabbat, we had a lunch, uh, lunch in Hebrew, which was fun. Uh, but here in Hebron, it's much more uh, Hebrew-speaking Israeli. Uh, in, in Efrat, it's in large part, it's also Anglo-speaking Israeli, English-speaking Israeli. Uh, we're all Israelis. It's important to note that. Uh, yeah. Listen, as, as I always tell uh, you know, the attorneys, I, there aren't a lot of in, native English speakers who do litigation in Israel. Right. So you, you meet them and, and they start asking you, well, you know, uh, how do you define yourself? And you say, Yisraeli by Bechira. Israeli by choice. Yes, Israeli by choice. And that, that always, also, they, they were like, huh? Huh? That's right. That's so right. I, I definitely hear you. That's right. Okay. No, yeah, it's and it's important to make those corrections, not to get too uptight about it, but it is important for them to know. And and I sometimes say to them, you know, um, I sometimes remind Israelis, I say, when you hear an American accent, that means that somebody came by choice. That means that somebody like left America because the, the vast overwhelming majority of American Jews in Israel did not come because of anti-Semitism. They did not leave an inferior country. They left a, in some ways, superior country, uh, country-wise, I mean, say state-wise. Um, and and they, they came here by choice. So so when you live in a place like Efrat, you're really surrounded by people who are highly ideological and who really, like, are, you know, they, they really came here to do something. And because they really, really felt the call, as opposed to other people's, who are also ideological and wonderful Jews, but they also were booted out one way or another from their North African, Russian, you know, South African, wherever it is, uh, you know, all kinds of places that people felt no you know, French, no longer felt comfortable, and 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 came here with that with that with that push behind them. That doesn't I, make them I any say even more. What I always say to people is, look, when you meet an Anglo-Saxon Jew. Excuse me, an English Anglo from yeah. an English-speaking country. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, is that you have to understand that these people, for the most part, are really the people who are continuing the tradition of the founders of the state of Israel, and they look at you and say, "What?" And you tell them, "Listen, you know, if you look at most of the people, well, most of the parents of the people who you're meeting today in your your Israeli society, it's not people who came here accepting that hey, we're going to go down on our quality of life. We're going to have to." give up a lot of things, but it's all worth it for the idea of continuing to be part of and building a Jewish state. And, uh, you know, sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. But, 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 but even in the previous generations, most people that came, came because of persecution. Not, it's not the reason that they came, but that helped them break free. You know, sometimes anti-Semitism is a gift, you know. It, it, it helps us break free from the diaspora and and if there's an option of Eretz Israel, people people chose it. But like you had the Germans that left in the 20s and 30s, early 30s. You had you know you had uh, the the Russian Jews who were facing persecution, Polish Jews. You know today, for many French Jews no longer feel so good in France anymore. You have South African Jews who would love to leave, but their money's tied up with the rand, and and that has lost value. And so you know you you have all kinds of people that that, but but in 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 Israel's history, basically. Basically, American Jews are the 
the group that stands out as folks who really like nothing was pushing them and and it was only because they came from the pool and you have about you know let's say three thousand olim every year uh but that adds up in a place like gush Etzion, um you know has a lot of anglos and 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 and, and beit shemesh has a lot of anglos etc and uh those are beautiful places you know the, and some people complain that you know they're anglo and they're too anglo and those are all you know those are all those are all uh, uh, myopic complaints that you don't see the big picture which is the you know the amazing choice that these people made to come to the land and shows like yours that we're doing today you know make a difference help people consider it uh help people uh you know really really live and that's another american um american um characteristic trait which is living the dream also post-covid a lot of people just realize that life is short you know you you can't just be kind of you know dreaming of a place you you want to do it you can do it it's it's your time uh, absolutely and i'll tell you even more one of the things that i tell when uh, nefesh benefesh sends attorneys and stuff to talk to me is i tell them listen guys you know if you can keep one leg over there then come now you know you don't need the same salary you're getting take a, ca- a salary cut if you can work remotely right? if you've been working remotely a couple of days then just come do it even try make for two years I, I always tell them do it tell your family hey we're going to do two years and see them because chances are you're going to love it so much that you know you'll make it work but uh i'm, I'm definitely with you that uh you know yeah i, I like i like what you're saying a lot uh, i think i think take steps take take steps that you can do it like i know a lawyer who brings his family for the summertime to israel and he works at nights out you know it's his law firm he works in america throughout the year but in the summers he works from israel and just yeah. so that his kids just so that his kids can live in israel and get that exposure i and know another I lawyer before we made oh yeah that's exactly by the way what we did is that every summer i'd be here for two months with my kids and my wife who worked uh at uh, price waterhouse would only be able to come for three weeks and we just made the decision hey you know we want our kids to be by the time we move here permanently which was when they were you know uh 10 7 and 4 because we, we want them to already have you know been part of the system have gotten friends we used to go to Beit Shemesh we'd be there all summer they'd be in camp with people and absolutely I think that it made it a tremendous difference when we actually pulled the plug and just stayed so right so absolutely I know I know another lawyer who 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 is not living here but he loves Israel so he makes sure to hire Israeli lawyers as much as possible I'm just saying people take different kinds of steps and and I think I think they're really really beautiful another group of people I think is amazing and I, I wish they were more honored is the commuters you know uh I just I just have such a respect for these guys if you talk to them they just say to you yeah I wanted to make Aliyah I didn't know how to make you know money in Israel but I, so so I wanted to move my family and yeah I fly once a month I fly this I know doctors that do it I know lawyers that do it. I know all kinds of folks that's so right and I just I just really I hats off and salute to people who like are like okay I'll get on an airplane every every month in order to make my dream this dream of living in Israel come true right, listen, amazing I'll tell you there's uh I used to when we first moved here that was what I did for the first year and a half and in point of fact there was something called the Moadonium Hamishi the Thursday night club okay and that was you get to Newark you'd go into the uh, lounge for a while and you'd sit there and say okay wait you know who has more Pazam? Who's going to get the free upgrade? Pazam is uh, hold on. You know uh, more time under their belt, more files for them, so that you're the first in the line to get the upgrade. 
So I, I definitely hear you, and, and I also, but you know, for me, I didn't like I said, it was a year and a half, two years, but there were people there that I met that had been doing it back then for 10 or 12 years already. So it was just just amazing. I also know people now who do it to England as a, a, yeah. a, 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 a slew of them who do it to England, a couple from France. Yep. Incredible. I, I would love to do I would love to do like a documentary on these guys just to show you know I think I think it would be a great even if it's a 12 to 13 minute thing for a news channel or something but just to show the life of these guys I, I and, and, and gals I think that they're heroes I really do I think that they're heroes and I think and sometimes when you speak to them they don't think they're heroes because they're like yeah because like but I can't make money in Israel and yeah you know I'm just like forget it you're a hero like you're awesome this, this is what you're doing in order to fill the dream wow that's like Using a very modern technique to 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 look to fulfill the ancient dream. All right. How do you think since you've moved here, Israel's changed? Well, what's the biggest change you've seen? Well, first thing is that Israel is ever changing. Uh, Israel's a, 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 and that's why I laugh at the term status quo. And I just say to people, I'm like, but we're not the status quo country. We're not the status quo people. Like Israel is a revolution. It, it, it is not. It, there's nothing status quo about our country. So don't give me the status quo crud about you know some Islamic you know limitations that you want to impose on me from the Middle Ages. Like forget it. Like we're not the status quo people. Like there's nothing about it. So so the country is, is very very. Uh, it's very very. It changes a lot. It changes a lot. I'll just give you a little example. I also work at the Knesset. You know, people used to walk around in these open shirts with the high necklaces. Today, everybody's wearing suits and ties at the Knesset, you know. Building is happening everywhere. I think one of the greatest changes is the road work. The, the roads in Israel have changed very dramatically, and the, the roads are fabulous today. And there's like new, for example, in just in the last year, in the last few months, a road opened up that changed my drive time from, from Gush Etzion to the airport from an hour and 15 minutes to a little bit under an hour. So it just like, and it just cuts through the tunnels that, you know, make Jerusalem accessible, um, you know. So I think, I think, I think really the, the country is just ever changing. Uh, there's, of course, much more, um, there's many more kosher restaurants. It's much, in Tel Aviv and places like that, you're much, you know, Jewish stuff is much more accessible than before. In general, the country in the 90s was like, Five million Jews, and now we're talking about seven million Jews. So we're really like you have a you have a you have a real trajectory. Um, um, you could see it in also how the Knesset votes. Um, so th there there are, there are constant constant changes uh, in the country. I still wish that Israel would see itself as bigger. I still think that we uh, have a ghetto mentality. Um, I you know there are many small ways of thinking that, that that frustrate me for example the road to a lot mm -hmm. is still a two-lane highway most of the way i'm like two-lane highway to a lot and there's just trap and the death trap come on right because it's a two-lane highway that, and, and it's just like but like widening out this road is nothing there's just nothing but desert on both sides of the road there's nothing there's no building you don't have to do anything it's not urban even just put some more cement down it's nothing it's nothing. We could do it in three months from now. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's and a lot is a major city. It's a major port. So so what do we? You know, it's, it's like a small ghetto way of thinking. Um, and I can give many many more examples. Uh, uh, something that frustrates me tremendously is that young Israelis 
face a very hard time getting into medical school. And so they fly away to different countries to, to, to do medicine. I think to myself, what an unbelievable mistake. Israel should be the country that is the Budapest and the Jamaica and the Bologna that you come to and study here. We're the Jews. We are the ones to teach medicine. I would open up gigantic medical schools. Have everybody from the Middle East and Africa come here for their nursing license and for their doctoring and this, that. We are the, the ones. I don't want the young guy who's just not good enough to make it into the Israeli medical school have to fly to Bologna. It's pathetic. Well, pathetic. Not, not, not. The question is, what percentage of them, you know, especially of the ones who aren't Shomer Mitzvot, end up finding uh, Venezu there? Uh, that's also that's also true. That, but, that's that's the disaster in my mind. But why why do that? Why do that? Open oh, it up. Open it up. Open it up. Make it big. Make it big. Go big. Go big. I have a slogan: Go big and go home. Okay, that's my slogan. What's one of my slogans? Go big and go home. Not go big, you know, or go home. Go big and go home. I so 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 like that's just another example. The same thing with defense. I don't want to get into it now. It's political, but but like the point is, is that Israel could be bigger. I call her. I call it greater Israel. I don't mean just bigger land. I mean like a way of thinking that's bigger, where we can be bigger. We can be the regional defense, uh, 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 kind of um, what's it called, the, the defense provider. We could be the the regional medical provider. We could be the regional spiritual provider there are so many people around the world that are already fed up with their religions and they're looking to israel to send a signal especially this is very true in all kinds of christian uh, quarters where where people are looking to israel to give them a signal of of how to be religious but you know a torah way a, a jewish way of being a gentile people say this to i i speak to people people like this often i mean, you know what i mean a few times a week and and people are looking to us. But again, when we have this, like, what used to be called exile mentality, I now call it ghetto mentality, which is this, like the small Israel. Let, let's just survive. And, you know, I think they don't get the time that we're living in and they, they haven't graduated to that. You know, I'm hoping that we that we can we can get to from 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 an from an Israel that survives to a greater Israel. Amen. Really. Amen. OK. Uh, where do you see us in 10 years? I don't remember, but I, I, how many people live in Denmark? But I know that we like we've we've gotten bigger than them. And so I had this Danish person here, and she was telling me, you know, she was telling me, you know, like a nice white colonialist, she was telling me exactly what we should be doing. And I just said to her, like, you know, we're a bigger country than you. We're a wealthier country than you, and and we're a more ancient country than you. So why don't you just like leave me alone and let me do let me do it my way? And I, I think the reason I'm saying that is just because I think in ten years we're just going to get. We're, we're going to keep getting bigger and, and we're going to keep getting bigger and we're going to keep getting uh, more economically uh, uh, strong. I think that more and more of our enemies, when I was in the army in 95, the Syrians were still a very serious enemy. I think you're going to see, and then they've stopped being a serious enemy for us. Uh, I think we're going to deal with the Iranian problem, with the Iranian regime problem, with the Mullah regime. And I think we're going to see more Abraham Accords in this region um, we're going to see more people that are uh, traditional in Israel or, or respect and like tradition. Uh, I think you're going to, um, we're going to figure out um, how to accept the idea of a Jewish ethnic state, Jewish, you know, national state. We have a, we have a Palestinian problem, which is going to have to be dealt with. And that has not been a, a seriously addressed uh, in, no, in no serious way. 
Mm-hmm. And we have a problem of both just a large population that is an other. And so either incorporation or or excorporation, you know what I mean? One way or the other, there's got to be figured out a, a way to deal with it because you basically have two nationalities that have that have uh, that have contrary national goals and instincts, and especially because they're being educated as such. And so um, that's I, I think that in the next ten years we're probably going to get to a point where we really are going to have to deal with this thing. We're going to have to look at it squarely and and deal with it in a realistic fashion. And I'm not talking about hate or racism. I'm talking about a way to realistically, you know, uh, uh, figure out these goals, uh, figure out these national uh, um, yearnings. And they might have to be to the victory of one and to the detriment of the other. Or maybe there is some kind of middle ground that can be figured out. But the two-state solution is creating a Palestine in Israel has been a proven failure. And we saw it with Gaza. uh, And we see it already with Judea and Samaria. So, a new plan has to be figured out. That's, I think, going to be the the biggest challenge uh, in the next ten, twenty years: is how to figure out the how to deal with the Palestinian problem, how to deal with Jews, Jewish yearning to to establish the Israel in Judea and Samaria. I think that's going to be a big one. I think the Iranian problem has to be figured out. Uh, but other than that, Israel will continue to grow economically and in a sense of Jewish tradition. I think, and population wise as well. I mean, the population is growing. And uh, and I think an- another important one of two industrialized countries with a positive gener- intergenerational growth. Right. And 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 related to all those issues is the issue of housing. Uh, Jewish people have a very bad trait, which is we outprice ourselves everywhere, and it's it, it it happens everywhere. It happens in America. Wherever we start, you know, being successful, we outprice the next generation. I mean, the beauty of that is that, therefore, you get development in the next, you know, part, which in the periphery of, you know, the, the old center. But that's still a problem. You still, you, you know, we've we've outpriced ourselves. We've gotten, it's, our prices are a bit manic. Uh, and that is a problem. And I speak to excellent young people who say, I don't know how we'll ever be able to afford a house. And we really should not be, you know, and then we have this problem that basically people take out these mortgages, but in a sense... That's exactly, they become kind of indentured servants. And basically we fall into exactly what the, what the Torah tells us not to do, which is this whole usury thing. And we, we allow it to slide, but basically we just, we enslave, you know, generations to these mortgages, not like my parents when they showed up in the seventies, that were able to buy in no time a house uh, because the country was, was interested in making sure that everybody got a house. So, um, you know, these are these are serious issues that need to be rectified. You know what? Now that you're saying it, I guess I would say the Iranian issue, the Palestinian issue, the housing issue, and also the um, uh, structure of the democratic states. We, we've got to sit. And, I mean, an, another way of saying that. Is oh, I, 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 so not only I, a whole bunch of things I know we disagree and I've always known. But uh, although I think more we agree on than not, but. I always say, look, what's happening right now that everyone's talking about, wow, how horrible it is, uh, you know, the polarization. And I keep telling people, listen, you're missing the point. This is like amazing. And they're amazing. What are you nuts? And they're like, no, because we've had these issues under, you know, the face of the water for a long time and they haven't been addressed. And now there's a chance, just a chance that finally that status quo will be thrown out we'll renegotiate something that will work better for everybody, and then we'll be able to address as a unified front all of these other issues, which were, were 
you know, we see eye to eye on exactly what the issues are. I just think that, hey, if, you know, by God's will, we can reach some type of compromise on everything that everyone can at the end of the day look and say, you know what, I can get behind this, then it will be a lot easier to solve the Iranian issue, the Palestinian issue, and the whole economic issue. I view it as a whole economic, not just the housing, because I, I look at, you know, what I, I see already uh, generation after generation of poor people, and, and that's the point where I go, wait a second, we're doing something wrong here. You know, when, when you see uh, Vicky Knafo and her children's children are, are being raised up in the same corner, you say, okay, how did we fail? You know, how did we not uh, give these people the tools that they need to lift themselves out? So, but in any case, very good. Yeah, no, I, th I think I agree with you, and um, and there's no reason for it. We really we have to we have to socialism was with we will always have some level of socialism in Israel because it's a social country, right? We need to say I'm willing to pay for the medicine of you know the girl in Tel Aviv because she's my sister. So there's some level of socialism which I think is is inherent in the system, but the but the but the but the you know the 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 bloated bureaucracies, and the you know the taxation and the, uh, you know and 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 the and the, everybody my friends who start businesses just complain all the time, of the hoops that they have to jump through and 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 this these these kind of like old you know it, it, here in the state of Israel the state is still the number one employer. And that that's not right. That's not good. We have to we have to try to shrink government. And it could very well be that that was a way to start a country, but now it's time to reform it out and start to just you know. I, I, somebody was saying to me that a Knesset member should be uh, judged not by the laws he passes, but by the laws he gets rid of. Um, and that I, I thought that was a, that was a great that was a, that was a great thought. And you know, he said, and he said it's a problem because you know voters don't always see the the the, the laws that you got rid of the, the the you know the red tape you got rid of. In any case, uh, you know, but I'm extremely positive, and and why wouldn't I be? You know, it's um, and like yourself, it's 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 exciting, and it's and it's fun, and it's frustrating, but it's like our frustrations. You know, what I mean, it's our pains, and and. You know, the one thing is about Israel is that we sometimes feel too much about it. It's like we can't detach ourselves a little bit from this project. But you know what? Smart people sense very clearly what I said before, which is that this is the greatest project of the Jewish people in 2,000 years. It's just damn exciting. And 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 to be part of it is just the greatest the greatest gift possible. So, so I'm going to end on, on that and this last question. If any of my viewers are thinking about Aliyah or are planning Aliyah, what would you say is the top two or three things that they should be doing in their preparations? Well, I would say that first, let's let's ask the question of what is the number one thing that holds you from making Aliyah? And there are language issues, mentality issues, economic issues, fear of terrorism issues and all that, but those are all completely second tier. The number one issue for people by far is family ties okay that is what makes it hard for people to leave so consider that you know what i mean consider that you know is it is it by like i did i moved young and i expected my family to follow me and years later they did you know do you expect that um you know or do you have the wherewithal to fly you know and visit a lot okay you know or are you going to be on zoom every week Think about how to deal with that issue of the family bonds because that is the number one, that's the number one issue out there for people in my experience. Um, sure, the other things are, you know, learn Hebrew, you know, and figure out your economy, all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, 
but like number one is is figure out those uh, those uh, those relationship issues, and remember the phrase that my uh, wife Malka Fleischer says. She says, make the hard choices so that the next generation doesn't have to, because somebody's going to have to make that hard choice. So, like you know, do do the next generation a favor and you make that hard choice so that your kids won't have to think about you know. You know, and I, I just met a, a set of grandparents from Passaic, New Jersey, who are making Aliyah. This was hard for them. Uh, they're all, you know, many of their grandkids are in, you know, New Jersey, but they're they're doing it because they want to do it, and they say, "Let the kids fly in, and we'll fly in over there. We'll do the Zoom and that kind of thing." So, so figure figure that out. Um, you know, um, that's that's the number one issue I think that 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 you could figure out if you could if you could figure out the family thing. That's that's what I would focus on. And and or or and think about it deeply. Am I willing to make that sacrifice? Am I not willing to make? Like for example, I was just in uh, in New Jersey and was it a wonderful family, but the sister lives right next door. The sister lives, and I how many times do I hear about parents, elderly parents that live, you know, and it's not easy to give that up. So then, so then, so then, if you can't, if you can make aliyah, great. If you can't, what's your step? What's your step? I recommend the number one recommendation: buy that apartment in Israel. Buy it, rent it out own a piece of the rock. You'll feel totally different as a human being, when, as, an, as a Jew, when you say, yeah, but I own an apartment in Israel. It just makes you into a different person. Uh, and then and then if it's not that, then take the steps to make sure the kids go for that year in Israel. I always recommend to people drink wine from the land of Israel Friday night. You know, make a thing of it. You know, take these little steps and and don't live with a lot of guilt forget that that is so like ashkenazi and my wife is hungarian you know they you know uh, guilt is a powerful powerful thing you don't need to live with guilt take steps take steps can i make aliyah yes no if i can how do i deal with the family good language uh, you know welfare all that if no what are my steps what can i what step am i taking yeah but i'm taking this step i'm proud of that step take that step be proud of yourself and be excited to be part of this great time with Amen. the help of God, of course. Amen. And so, Yishai, just can you uh, tell everybody if they want to get into touch with you, where they can find you, how they can get into touch with you? Sure, sure. Uh, everything is, you just search Yishai Fleischer. I got a website, yishaifleischer.com. Uh, if you want to learn more about Hebron, it's hebron.com. Uh, I put out a weekly podcast, Yishai Fleischer Show. It's on all of your podcast readers. And I am very active on Twitter. So if you want to see all the ugly, ugly, ugly fights of the day to day, uh, you know, you can see me, Shai Fleischer on Twitter. And it's just, it's easy to find me. The, the internet will help you find me in, in any way. Um, and and better to email me, Shai Fleischer, gmail.com or Fleischer.com. Easy to reach me, really. Uh, uh, and uh, I'm available for people. And and I want to really thank you, Jay, for for putting out a great show and continuing to, to help people uh you know, get over their problems and, and move on with their life successfully here in the land of Israel. Amen. And Yishai, thank you. It's always, always a pleasure. And be well. And thank you all. And I uh, hope to see you next week. Bye-bye. Hey, Maka, you know, I want to talk about two of our, some of our favorite sponsors. They're all favorite sponsors. We love them all. But you know what? Uh, this is for you out there. Uh, first thing is when you come to the land of Israel, you, you got to go to the Temple Mount. You, you got to go to the Temple Mount. It's just, it'll change your life. You don't got to go to the Temple Mount. Right. I just, I want to actually roll Thank that back you. and I'm not trying to be uh, contentious or anything. You don't got to go to the Temple Mount, but some people really want to. Yeah. Some people are really feeling it call. Yep. And there is plenty of halachic 
backing for you. Yep. There is plenty of rabbinical sanction for you to do that in a well laid out, organized way and high on the har will help you to go up to the Temple Mount in holiness properly the way that a Jewish person wants to do and should do. Uh, definitely check them out. So that's highonthehar.com. That's right, highonthehar.com. Not high on the gar. I don't know what that is. I was just looking it up on, on the internet. It's it's highonthehar.com. So that will get you onto the Temple Mount in holiness and beautifulness. And then from the Temple Mount, you will look, you will look south and you will see the mountains of Hebron. And you will want to Not connect. Not from there. Yes, you, you see it? Yeah, you will you see You know, it. you can, from from certain places in Judea, you can see the Temple Mount, like Don't, not in Jerusalem. That's right. And you could you see, see the Temple Mount, Temple Mount. And the, 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 the service in the Temple Mount would start, on the in the Temple would start when they saw the dawn over Hebron, when they saw the merit of the forefathers and mothers. Come to Hebron, come connect. Uh, I work there. It's one of my greatest honors and privileges. Uh, Hebron Fund keeps the place funded and beautiful and strong with tourism, with education, with security. There's and, there's apartments for sale. And there are apartments for sale. We'll talk about which that. Which is an insane opportunity for people who want to be a part of Hebron and to like literally own property Piece in Hebron, of the rock. which like nobody can do. That's right. Except for a few people because there's a few apartments. So that is hebronfund.org. It makes all the difference. We bring the fun into fund. If Hebron you're interested, fund. you can reach out, by the way, Ishai. Well, which which email do you like to use? Yishai, Yishai Fleischer. Yishai, Yishai Fleischer.com. If you're interested in hearing more about apartments, you can reach out. All right. Sadly, uh, I didn't uh, get to talk about all the good folks that make this show happen, but I shall now uh, quickly and yet with lovingly. I want to say that there's some great folks that are making a difference. I want to tell you about one great story, Maka. Yeah. Uh, uh, our good friends at Retro Watch Guy. Yes. They're going to be Retro Watch Guy from Israel. They are making retro Aliyah. Retro to the retro. That's yes, right. Mazal Tov. <laughs> retro to the retro. Yeah, they're going all the way retro, That's all the right. way back to the land of Israel. Going That's back. incredible. That's right, back in time wow, and future so time. Wow, so happy. So, yeah. That's Retro Watch Guy, Malka. That's um, wonderful news. Yeah. That's, that's So, RetroWatchGuy.com. Check out their 70s, uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s watches. The best Ooh. of yeah. <laughs> of soft rock. and best great, uh, all yeah. great oldies. That's right. Uh, check out their amazing watches. I'm always, I always like to look at their cool watches, uh, and they're neat. And I, of course, so uh, wear my retro watch guy watch. That's really cool. Uh, I also am myself enjoying very much the kimchi slash sauerkraut. Okay. Made by my friend Chaim at yes. prohibitionpickle.co. Chaim brought us a care package. I want to give a shout out to the pickled beets. They're crunchy. They're good for your stomach, which I'm very into. They're a little bit sweet, so it's like, you know, the kimchi is like, woo, that's sour and spicy. Yeah. Oh, I just got like a little bit of like sour mouth. <laughs> and then, but the the pickles, the, the pickled beets, they're really good. And one of the weird pieces of information you should know about Israel, it is bizarre to me and I don't understand it, is that there's no white fish in Israel. You would think that in a country of Jews, they would figure out if people, if you can figure out how to import like tires from China, that you could figure out how to import white fish salad. Can't do it. Anyway, but Chaim makes a salad called like almost white fish or like white fish. I think it's called almost white fish salad. It is so good with crackers. <laughs> I just want to say, okay? So those are my two shout outs for this week. Really, really delicious. Highly recommend 
Chaim's delicious food made with love here in Judea uh, and delivers like all over Israel so many places and he really cares very much about uh, making sure that your that delicious food gets to your loved one wherever they are here in the land of Israel uh, and a beautiful website check it out and I want to thank all the folks that make the show really happen physically which is Ben Bresky Yochevet uh, 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 Seidman Moshe Herman Tabitha gets that email out, and so does Moshe. Get that email out. It send they send it out. Those guys ship. You know, real artists ship is the old line by uh, the founder of uh, of Apple, and um, and so they get it out. So that's Moshe Herman, Ben Bresky, Yocheved, Tabitha, and Lou. And we're live are, are rocking it for us. Thank you very much, and all the folks that also donate. You make a, such a difference. Um, you know, from the folks that donate at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Ishai, buymeacoffee.com forward slash Ishai. And for the big projects of beautifying Eretz Yisrael, that's IshaiFleischer.com forward slash donate. So much love for you guys. Lots of love from the land of blessings. Uh, it's the good land. Maka Fleischer, you make the good land good for me. Aww. I want to thank you so much <coughs> for being with us on the show and wish you a Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. God bless you folks. More great stuff is on the way. Stay tuned. Stay strong. Stay connected. Stay connected to Hashem, who's the biggest donor of them all, because he gives us life, he gives us love, he gives us the time on this earth, and to be part of his great dream. Let's keep doing it for him. He gives us the life, and the greatest privilege is to be part of his story. Shabbat Shalom, and thank you. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>